All right. Did everybody have a good Thanksgiving? I smoked a turkey. I was really excited. It was good. I was told it was good. So at least, at least people were polite. I don't know. Um, so um, I'm just, I'm excited tonight to stand up here and preach again. It's been a while since I've uh, been able to preach. Tim was gracious enough to give me some time off uh, with the, the birth of my son, but he's um, 19 months old now, so he figured that was not a good excuse anymore. <laughs> um, so today is the second sermon in our Thanksgiving series before we begin our Advent series. Uh, it took me a while to settle on the verses that I wanted to talk about because on the face of them, they don't necessarily scream thankfulness, gratefulness, um, being thankful, right? Um, however, what they do give us are guidelines for how that we should act. And as we break this down in the next little bit, we're going to see that our thankfulness for what God has done for us uh, should drive how we interact with others. So let's go ahead and dive in. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians uh, at the very end of chapter 4. Uh, verse 32, and we're going to continue on to the very beginning of chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Uh, also, the verses will be on the screen. Oh, they already are behind me. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to the Lord. To God. Sorry. So, I love these verses. These are some of my favorite passages because it reminds us of a couple of things. The first is how amazing the gift is that we've been given, right? God has given us this salvation from death. Now, when we talk about Thanksgiving, we typically talk about what we're grateful for. We say family, uh, a good job, uh, you know, another year of health, those things. And those are all good things, right, they, that are also provided by God. However, those things we can be grateful for, but they pale in comparison to the true gift that God has given us, which is the deliverance from death to eternal life. Now, What's tricky about this is we have to understand that God was gracious to forgive us. So in order for us to truly be grateful for this gift of what he has given, we need to understand how bad it was, how bad our situation was that we needed to be rescued or saved out of, right? If you go and you tell a non-believer that, you know, they need Jesus to save them from hell, most of the time they're going to look at you and be like, Okay, whatever, or non-believer, rather, um, because they don't believe in a hell, right? So it doesn't matter that they don't believe they're going to be saved from that. So we first have to be, have the context for our gift that God has given us. Only when we have a true understanding of sin can we realize how gracious God was to spare us from that. So let's talk about sin for a little bit. Everybody's favorite topic, right? And so we're going to get through this. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. All right. So, you know, sin, what is, what is it? All it means is it's a failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. 
um, is a definition that I found. I think it was actually Wayne Grudem's de definition for it, and I really thought it was spot on. So we use this term moral law. What is a moral law, and how do we know right from wrong, and so how do we know what is sin? Well, as the uh, rock-solid people can attest, we went through about a year of trying to talk through that, that one question of what is a moral law, how do we know right from wrong. So uh, we're not going to get into all of that tonight, but we are going to get a bit of a primer, right, what we need to talk about. So we talk about God's moral law, specifically in that they are the things that he's given to us, right? If we acknowledge God is good, right, and unchanging, so then we need to acknowledge that the moral law of how he tells us to be is how we can define good or bad, right? If you don't have a moral law, you have this real kind of nebulous floating in midair type of ethics, right, of knowing I think this is good because I, I feel like it is, right? Um, and it's really interesting because there's a ton of super academic work on the subject. Like, people seriously consider this problem, like, how do I know what is good? Um, you know, and you have philosophers like Immanuel Kant and other people um, that specifically spent their lives trying to address those questions of how we know right from wrong. Um, when we talk about a moral law, uh, I'm going to use a, a, the fancy word for it for you all here, so we're going to learn a new word. Um, it's, uh, well, Tim probably knows it, but it's, uh, it's deontology, right? Okay, deontology is a fancy word you can use to impress your friends that simply means a moral law. That, that's it. But if you ever talk to anybody uh, in academia, they, they, they won't use the phrase moral law. They'll, they'll throw out the, the ontologies. So uh, anyways, deontology just means that there is a moral law. And what I mean by that is that there is right and wrong definitive right and wrong. It's not contextual, right? It's not, in some instances, this is right, but other things are wrong. Although that's an entirely other field of ethics called normative ethics that we don't have to get into. But what we're saying is that there are some things that are inherently wrong or right, right? And I think that's how most people live. Honestly, in truth, how most people live out their lives is this belief that there is good and bad. Most people that would say, I don't necessarily believe there is right and wrong, it's everything's kind of some shade of gray, is not how they live their life. And I can speak to that from experience, because that's what I once told people, was that there is no you know, truth to it, and yeah, I know that that's a, a logical fallacy in and of itself, but what I mean by that is that I said, you know, you can't know right or wrong, it's impossible to understand. But it's not, right? In the framework that we have that God has revealed to us through his truth, we're able to say that some things are definitively good and bad. Now, what that means is that we have failed to conform to those standards of good and thus done bad. What that means, again, is then that we are inherently sinful in our nature, rebellious against God, which means that he's right to deal with us in such a way, right? In a way where we have to be punished, we need to be paid for, um, you know, these things need to be accounted for. Now let's talk about that a little bit more. So God, in being gracious to forgive us, was so gracious, 
like he knew this from the beginning, right, that we were not only going to sin, right, we were going to mess this up, but that throughout past Adam and Eve that we would inherit this sinful nature that drives us to rebellion. Now, um, <laughs> he's, he's asking him to hold the knife. That's, that's a sinful nature. Anyways, <laughs> sorry. Um, now, this part is where it gets really tricky, but it's one of the things that makes the most sense when you look at the world around us, right? The Christian worldview tells us that people are inherently sinful, that we are not inherently good, right? That we have this urge to mess things up, right? The Christian religion acknowledges that and provides an answer through Jesus' Christ's sacrifice on the cross to overcome that very nature, right? Most other religions are based around the fact that we are inherently good, and if you do enough good, you'll be fine. That is not so with the Christian religion. The Christian worldview says it does not matter what you do. This sinful nature drives us inherently to rebellion. You start basically from scratch in the negative column. Uh, specifically, this is laid out in Romans verse or chapter 5, verses 12 through 17. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through one sin, and so death spread to all men because all had sinned, right? So it tells us that through that one act, everyone was held accountable. For sin indeed was not in the world before the law, or, for, or sin what indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were sinning, was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type uh, of one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. Contextually, the free gift it's talking about here is our salvation, right? For if many died through one man's trespass, right, we inherit sin from Adam's mistake, the free gift... following many trespasses, brought justification. For it, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. What that's telling us is that, again, God, if you look at it through his lens, he sees this throughout all of history, right? We see the fall of man. We see Adam sin, Adam and Eve sin against God and lead us to the state that we're in here, this inherent wrongness in the world. And it's not just us that see that. Non-believers alike are constantly seeking answers for what is wrong in the world, right? Why am I this way? Why uh, is the world this way are the questions that they try to answer. Uh, and Christianity lets us know, right? Christianity tells us, it's because we're messed up. <laughs> um, which, from my own observation of the world, seems to be the most accurate one. I see people do good, but I also see the atrocities and things that happen in the world that are just horrible. Now, where this leaves us, right, and I kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, is that God has to do something about this sin, right? God must remain just. We long for moral justice to prevail upon the earth and are outraged when we see injustice happening around us. And this is something, again, that isn't unique to the Christian perspective. 
the best example I have of this, when we talk about this, right, we talked about sin. Sin is inherently bad. Sin is something in which God, who is wholly good and wholly righteous, cannot allow, right? So what does he do? If he was just to say, don't worry about it, it's fine, what would that mean for him? What would that mean for his character to just ignore that? So let's sit for a moment and think about it, right? So say you have a judge in a civil case. Somebody's murdered. And the judge, go. the criminal convict comes in front of him, right? And he just says, yeah, I know. You did this thing. You killed this guy. Uh, and uh, it's okay. You don't have to worry about it. You're free to go. And the judge does that over and over. Next time somebody comes in, it might not have to be a murder. It might be theft, right? It's fine. You don't have to worry about this. But it could be hurting other people. It could be murder. Um, it could be something worse, right? Is that justice? No, right? When we think about justice, right? And, and this is one of the things I love. I got Batman behind me here because, like, Justice is the idea that's like prevalent throughout all like superhero mythos, right? So, you know, Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, um, they're DC characters except Spider-Man, but he's better than the other ones anyways. Um, I got you back. Um, I realized I used some DC examples and that's, that's frowned upon. Um, so. <laughs> but there's this idea that there is this good that needs to happen that there is this order to things, right? That evil needs to be punished. And we all agree the same way. Evil does need to be punished. So if we don't punish that, we lose justice. Now, throughout all of Scripture, God is described as being righteous and just. Knowing that his character cannot change means that he still must remain so. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, it says, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. And this is part of the primer for getting us in the right mind of thankfulness. Right? We must be aware of the necessity of our salvation, knowing that we, we've done wrong. God, being just, must do something about it. Right, It has to be dealt with. Otherwise, he would not be just. He would not be righteous to allow for hurt to happen uh, without it having repercussions. When we understand the depravity of our sin and have a solid understanding of our salvation is not from us, right? It's not from being any better than any other person. We can radically shift how we deal with people. And this is where we're going to get into kind of the meat of this here tonight, right? This should radically shift this gratefulness that we see in Ephesians when he says, be thankful, you know, be forgiving as others, or as God has, for be forgiving of others as God has forgiven you, right? We take that same mentality. We know that we deserve judgment. We know that we're no better than anyone else. And our gratefulness for what God has done, sparing us from that, should be what drives us. So, we must forgive others as God has forgiven us. And we're going to park here for a while, right? 
because this is the main idea, right? The rest of the stuff, this was a primer, right? We need to understand that sin is a real thing. Sin is bad, right? That God must be just, meaning he must deal with sin. So how then does God approach that? By having it paid for, but not by us. As I said, as we started this out, this is one of my favorite verses throughout all of Scripture. It's honestly one that comes to mind most of the time when I deal with people. Um, because I know how messed up I am, right? <laughs> uh, and so in dealing with other people, right, I don't want to come off as better. I'm not better, right? That's something that uh, one of the reasons, one of the things I saw in the church, uh, when I, I was raised in the Catholic church, it was one of the things I saw there. It's one of the reasons I walked away from my faith was because there was this whole idea of these people are supposed to be good, right? Well, we're trying, right? We are trying to be good, but we're not. Um, but thank God that there are, that we don't have to be. So I know I'm unworthy of God's grace by my sinful nature. So how possibly can I be upset at others who are also just as unworthy? It should create in us the largest feeling, right, of empathy, of understanding is probably a better word. The world around us aches because of the fall and of sin. Everyone is trying to find their way. God has revealed himself to us, and we are called to be the light shining in the world, right? We're called to participate in what he's doing. Unfortunately, many of us don't live that way, and I don't every day, you know. Um, it's hard. It's hard to remain thankful every day. It's hard to keep the context and understand that every breath I take is a gift from God. He literally sustains the universe, right? We talk about science and physics and we... You know, you even get into quantum physics and subatomic particles and all kinds of stuff, right? And we don't understand why stuff just doesn't fly into a million different directions. We have some theories. But the majority of matter, of things that make up everything, is emptiness. It's not solid, right? God is literally holding the universe together. Now... I want to take a moment here and talk about, you know, this isn't just a rules-based system of us following God's moral law. That is important. But, again, it's something we need to keep in context. This is where a lot of people get stuck. This is the fundamental difference between Christianity and other religions, right? Our salvation is not based on our works, there is a tension here. It's not just sitting back and sending thoughts and prayers. Right? James explicitly tells us in chapter 2, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, this is the distinction. What 
is the intent? What is the impetus? What gets my works started? Am I doing good things to be saved? No. We're doing good things and wanting to follow God's moral law for what he has given us out of thankfulness, right? I see what God's done for me, and I want to do the tiniest little bit what I can to give back. I know it's never going to amount to anything. God can do anything he has. It doesn't require me, but he does allow me to participate because he cares for us. He wants relationship, right? He create well, we crave that. We need it. Um, but God wants that glory given to him through us, right? Through interacting with him. So it's really amazing, right? Because we don't earn our salvation based off our works. But you also, we all know individuals who have called themselves Christians and live anything but. And I don't have enough information to be able to make a call here on, on this side of heaven right, on where those people actually land. God knows their intent. God knows their heart. But we as believers should be living every day with thankfulness for what God has done us so much so, so much so that it pours out uncontrollably into our actions, uncontrollably into our interactions with other people. While we can't be blinded by a legalistic system of trying to be perfect, and this is something that I need to call out again too, it's very important. Uh, I have uh, struggled uh, my entire life with anxiety, right? And uh, specifically, there's this tendency for perfection. I don't want to do anything unless I know I can do it 100% the best it possibly could be done. And it's honestly a little self-destructive because then I don't do a lot of things, period. Because <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm not going to reach that standard, so I might as well not even try. <laughs> so what I don't want you all to sit here and think, okay, I need to follow God's law perfectly, right? And if I mess up, well, my bad, it's all over, right? So don't let the enemy use that against you. This is why Christ had to live the perfect life, because he knew we couldn't, right? So again, I think the largest thing that this boils down to is similar to what we were talking about is intent, right? What is my intent? Did I intend to be closer to God? Am I trying to improve, right? Am I struggling in a sin? And the key word there is struggling, not just accepting, right? God's continuing to work. God's continuing this work of sanctification through all of us. So no, don't leave here thinking you need to be perfect, that, you know, if you ever mess up God's moral law, then you, it's over, right? We didn't have to do that. God provided us the avenue for somebody that did through the perfect life of Jesus Christ. So, We see this in scripture too, this idea of taking something that God has given us and kind of twisting and distorting it into something that we need to be wary of, just like this idea of following the moral law, right? Um, 
specifically the example that popped into my mind as I was preparing this as we were getting ready was, uh, you know, the Pharisees and, and the Sabbath. Um, and they question Jesus on this throughout Scripture. You know, uh, in, in Mark, he says, uh, one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, he being Jesus, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain, and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing that? What is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the man, the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Why I specifically chose this verse here to go along is because the very end, the Sabbath is made for man. Similarly, that's how our engagement with other people should be. We should not be so hung up on adhering to God's law that we miss the salvation that's been given to us through Jesus Christ that we can interact and deal with others, right? So if I'm so focused on my own wrongdoing, right, or somebody else's own wrongdoing, how can I be so terribly grateful in my interaction to make them want to hear about Jesus Christ, right? So this outpouring of thankfulness should be the crux of where we are, right? The crux should always be the foundation we, we end up back on is the cross of Jesus Christ, giving his life for us, literally God providing us an out, knowing that we have this sinful, inherent, rebellious nature that we're going to mess up. Don't focus so much on the legality of, find, of following these rules that you miss out on interacting with others. So, what does that actually look like? And this is where it gets tough, right? It's easy to say, be thankful. Go live and interact with others. Forgive them as you've been forgiven. Just do that. It's just that simple, right? Same thing. I'm struggling. I'm sitting there and, uh, you know, worrying, uh, spiraling, having some issue, you know. Just don't do that. Have you tried that? Right, just, just stop it. Um, <laughs> just, just don't. Um, so what does that practically look like? So we should live as Christ lived, not for ourselves, but self-sacrificially for others. And what does that practically look like, right? We are God's beloved children adopted through the sacrifice of Christ. So not only is our sin been paid for, right, so that God can remain just. But in Ephesians, Paul says that, you know, we're adopted through Jesus Christ as sons, literally being brought into the family of God. So we're not simply being saved, we're being elevated. Even to the point above angels, uh, apparent, eventually. That extreme response 
I can't help but just be ecstatic about. Right? I'm so messed up. God has saved me. How could I interact in any other way other than gratitude? But how do I do that practically? Well, I've got a couple of examples here, the first of which is going to be very um, hard. <laughs> it can be. Uh, and it's listening to people. Um, I have been very lucky in the season of my life. I got a new job where I'm 100% remote, which has allowed me to work uh, Thursdays or volunteer Thursdays at the warehouse. Um, and I've been able to have a lot of conversations with high school age students there. And it's really interesting when they're talking, right? You just want to, they just want somebody to listen. And I've had some really great conversations with a, a group that has been a little closed off from other people. I've been, God luckily placed me there um, to, I think, to deal and to speak truth to these certain individuals. Um, we hang out in the game room and uh, play video games the whole time and talk. And uh, But I've had some really profitable conversations because they've finally been able to open up. Um, and it's been an amazing thing. But it took, honestly, a lot of listening. I didn't say anything for a long time. I mean, I talked, right? But I didn't roll up and been like, where you stand and your faith, right? I didn't immediately challenge their beliefs. I knew that they're not 100% where, you know, I, I, I would like them to be as believers in Christ, right? But we are all immature believers at some point. Um, and I still am, hey, you know, and I'm up here teaching, so that's on Tim. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but just being able to be there, sit there and listen, right? Interact in a way that Christ would interact and listen to people, right? And, and truly empathize with them. You know, we talk and we look at people that think differently than we do. And we put them in groups. It's much easier to deal with people when they're in groups and you don't have to think of them as individuals. You know, they're leftists, they're rightist, right? They're socialists, you know, they're whatever you want to use. That process is dangerous because suddenly you're not talking about a person anymore. You're talking about a characterization of a person. Um, and if you don't stop and sit and listen to them, then you're not going to be able to share this gratefulness that you have, right? Because honestly, I am grateful to hear from this person. I honestly believe that the truth that I have heard from God, right, about Jesus Christ is the truth. I am not afraid to have a conversation with anybody about that because the goal is always to find the truth, it has been revealed to me, I feel like it has, so I can have that conversation without fear of wondering, is somebody going to bring up something that's going to shatter my entire worldview, my entire faith? And I understand, too, at the same point when I approach them, that they might have a similar ideal of how they view everything, that we don't want to just, you know, rock their world entirely. And so that's why you, when you engage and we live self-sacrificially, not for myself, but for the others, you know, we kind of put them first, right? Listen to where they're at. 
another way that we can practically live out this gratefulness is generosity. Now, this one's tough, uh, especially in the holiday season, right? Mostly because finances can already be allocated to certain things, like gifts and presents, and it's hard to be extra generous. Um, but we're called to give, right, of what we have. Be generous. It doesn't have to be of just your income, right? It could be of your time. Spend some time with somebody that you see out there, right? They are a child of God as well, right? Talk to them. God created them. They inherently are an image bearer of God. They have value. And so be generous. Do what you can. This is something I really struggled with for a long time. Um, like the, 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 the people on the side of the road, right, that are asking for money. Man, I struggle with that. Mostly just because, like, I'll see stuff that doesn't quite add up about their story, like brand new shoes or something like that, and I'm like, they're just trying to take advantage of me. That's not my job to do that. I don't know their story. I don't know what's going on. What I do know is I'm called to respond how God has told me to, and that's with generosity. I, God is never going to hold against you for you being generous to, with the intent to help someone. I'm not talking about just like needlessly spending money on things, but like literally with the intent of helping somebody and giving them money, right? Like, and be like, oh no, that person actually didn't use it for what I thought they would, like a new coat. They went and bought, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> Lost my train of thought there. Alcohol, we'll go alcohol. I don't know, something like that. Anyways, and, and <laughs> it's oh man, it's it radically shifts how I affect, like how I thought about that. I always approach those interactions as like this is super awkward. I don't want to give this guy any money uh, on the side of the road. I'm just gonna pretend he's not there, you know, like. And that's not what we're called to do. We're called to be generous. Uh, because just like we started back, rolling all the way back to Ephesians, right? We should forgive as we've been forgiven. Everything I've been given was not on my own merit. It was given to me by God. That's how we can be generous because it's the exact same thing as forgiving others. So give as you have been given. And lastly... Encourage each other, right? Build each other up. And this doesn't have to be, I mean, specifically build up other believers, right, in your faith, but also just other people in general. You know, there's, there's so many of these, these tribes and camps that we have these days, uh, especially you get online or anything like that, and, you know, people are, this group of people are terrible, this group of people are awful, right? And again, we're doing that same thing. We're putting them in groups, and we're focusing on the negative, right? But we're only focused on that small scale. We're focused on the now, right? Where I'm sitting here worrying about whether it be an election or whether it be finances, right? And we lose focus on the larger perspective of eternity, 
of which we don't have to worry. We've been saved. God's already solved that problem for us. So the rest of this, you know, cool. I don't got to worry about it. I am going to worry about it, though. So <laughs> um, This is where it gets really hard. Um, and this is where some people need it, myself included, and need encouragement, right? Uh, why God has placed certain individuals in your life, you might be called to encourage them. They might be called to encourage you. That's one of the reasons why fellowship is so important, for you to interact regularly with believers uh, and just with people in general. There's some really interesting uh, studies. There's, goodness, there's one that Harvard's been doing for, oh, I don't know, since like the 70s, I think, uh, basically on how people measure happiness, and all of it revolves around interaction, interacting with other people. Um, people across the board through social interaction, and that doesn't mean just like going and sitting and chatting, but like actually going and doing things with people, either work uh, by helping out in the community or any of that type of outpouring. Uh, the encouragement that we see is backed up through research that we've seen over the last couple decades, you know, which is funny enough, exactly what the Bible tells us to do. Um, but, you know, we do have that, that study now from Harvard, which is great, uh, to back up that whole iron sharpens iron thing, that it's good for us to interact with other people. So don't be afraid to encourage others, right? And again, the biggest thing that uh, I would warn you all about with this is, again, that focus or that loss on individuality. We're all image bearers of God, so much so that God gave his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross to save us. And if God can do that, right, for me, knowing how messed up I am, right, for all of us, knowing that we're all messed up, right, we covered that early on, we all sin, it's... It's over. We've done it, all right? We're going to continue to do it. Hopefully less is, is the end goal. But God provided us this out, knew from the very beginning how this was going to go down, knew he was going to be just, right? Knew sin was going to be punished, which it was, and knew there was a way that he was also going to be able to show mercy, and that blending of justice and mercy and how God interacts with us can only give you a sense of gratitude that's worth sharing. And ultimately, that's where we're at at the end of the day, right? Being so thankful for what God has done. How do you leave here? How do you not interact with somebody else? with a grin, with a smile on your face, you know? And, and I know we talked about a lot of heavy stuff. We talked about sin, and we talked about how, you know, we're all messed up, and we're still going to be messed up, and that's true. But, hey, on the eternal timeline, that don't matter. It's already covered. And so, this season, we're getting ready to move into Advent, the holiday season. That means interacting with um, family, Dun, dun, dun. Um, and <laughs> uh, 
other people we might not agree with, just in the office or wherever we're at. Um, just keep this in mind, right? Thankfulness flows us into the Advent season, knowing that the Messiah has come, right? God's already done this. He's got it. He's already won for us. You know, what we can do is just show our gratitude and allow, and he allows us to participate back. So we'll go ahead and um, I'll close this prayer and then, or I'll say prayer and then you guys have got another song, right? Somewhere? Talk? Yeah. I was looking for you. All right, cool. So, Lord, uh, just thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing gift that is our salvation, God. Uh, we pray that you just bring it to mind um, throughout this entire holiday season that we are just overwhelmed with gratitude, with thankfulness for what you've done for us and allow that outpouring of gratefulness to flow from us into others um, in, in our interactions with others, God. So that way they might know a little bit about you through our actions. Um, in Jesus' name, amen.